job to minister to those, those people. Acts chapter 8, beginning there in verse 4, is where we're going to start. I told you we're going to say a lot to say a little. And I hope that that makes some sense and you'll get a better understanding of that as we finish today. But we're going to say a lot to say just a little bit. Um, Acts chapter 8, beginning in 4, and we're going to go through 8. And before I say anything, I want to say this. Barriers. Barriers. Walls. Obstacles. One of the greatest of which we understand is the human heart. You would have a better opportunity and a better chance of tearing Jericho's walls down with a hammer than changing one human heart. And so the barrier that we have that we truly need to overcome is just that, the human heart. And the way that we do that is not by our own flesh, it is not by our own will, it is not by anything that is of ourselves, but by the power and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so today, as we look at this, I want you to keep that in mind. Acts chapter 8, we're going to read 4 through 8. This is where the gospel is going to go into Samaria. Jesus promised that it would. Up until this moment, they hadn't had that opportunity. Now it is. Now it's time. Now it is time to go into this place called Samaria. And we're going to look at the history of Samaria today for us to understand exactly what Philip was facing when he went into Samaria 2,000 years ago. Everybody follow? We're going to go a long way around and say a lot of things to say just a little phrase. But it's important, if you stay with me, I promise the Lord will bless your heart. Listen to what it says in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Last week we looked at the slaughtering of the early church by one named Saul. We also learned that as Saul persecuted the church... He scattered the church, right? It's kind of like hitting the fire with a shovel. And all the the little firebrands, the coals, they scatter out and then they begin to burn other places. Those that were scattered were primarily preachers. You see that here in verse 4. They went about preaching the word. The apostles stayed back in Jerusalem. There was men and women and children that stayed back in Jerusalem because... The apostle, or the Saul of Tarsus was there persecuting the church in Jerusalem. And he was dragging them off to prison. So there were many people that stayed in Jerusalem. But these preachers went out. They were scattered abroad and they went out and they began to preach. Those who were scattered went out, went about preaching the word. The wisdom of God, the word of God, the way of God. This is what they were preaching. They were preaching the gospel. Brave souls, courageous souls, unashamed of the true, pure, alive word of God. Unashamed of who they trusted in. Unashamed of who they were believing in by faith. Jesus Christ. They preached Jesus. They preached his life. They preached 
those years of perfection, they preached everything about who he was and what they saw in him. They preached his miracles. They preached his love. They preached his death, his burial, his resurrection. They preached his ascension. They preached Jesus, the way. They preached Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one. And this is important when we get into Samaria. They preached Him as the anointed one, the Messiah, the long-awaited hope of Israel, the only way for salvation from sin. And it's no different today. We know that. And I'm not going to get into that right now, but we know that it's no different today. And these preachers, they truly had their work cut out for them because when they were scattered, they were scattered outside of the friendly zone. Everybody follow what I'm saying? They were scattered outside of the friendly zone, even though the friendly zone was now under attack. They were scattered into these foreign lands, into these foreign places. Jerusalem had been their home. Not now. They're going out into the four winds and they are being scattered. In Jerusalem, they had Saul terrorizing the church, even in Judea. North of this area was the region of Samaria. Even though, it, even though uh, if you looked at it on a map or if you drove it, you would be driving down or driving to a different elevation, it was still north of Jerusalem, this place of Samaria. If you recall, Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses, where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And here's the third place. Here it is. And we're going to see that today. They're going to be witnesses in Samaria. The time had come for them to go into Samaria. If the Lord has told us something through His Word, such as, you will be my witness in Samaria, they knew what that meant. Howbeit at the time they were probably like, eh, we get you, but we'll, we'll, you know, we don't like them, but we hear what you're saying. Well, now it's time for them to go into Samaria. And the Lord is going to call them to do that. And we have to understand, and this is what we have to understand. If the Lord has told us something in His Word, rest assured, we can stand upon it. Everybody follow. Rest assured you can stand upon it. You're going to have to stand upon it. When He tells us to fear not, He means it. Does He use those words just flippantly? Did he really just tell us to fear not 365 times in his word so we could just flippantly use it? Or just, just not even think about it? No, he tells us to fear not because he means it. He is in charge. He is in control. When he tells us he will be with us even unto the ends of the earth as he did his disciples, what does that mean to us? It means to us that nothing can separate us, not anything above, not anything below, not anything on this life can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. 
It does not matter if there are walls before us that look like Jericho. He can tear them down. It does not matter if a sea stands in our way of what He has for us. He can part it. Needing to cross the obstacle of the Jordan River? No problem. The Lord's already stepped into the Jordan River. He's already crossed that path. He already stopped it from flowing. And He got out on the other side of it, allowing us and blazing a path for us, for us to go through it. No problem at all. The Lord's went before us. Any walls, any seas, any rivers, any enemy that lies in wait before you, before me, any barrier or obstacle, God is able to tear down or give you, listen to me, listen to what I'm telling you, God is able to tear down or give you the strength to climb over, walk through, and press on. Do we hear that? I know that we're a really quiet crowd. But I'm going to read that again because it's really good. You ought to check it out. I'm going to read it again. Okay, here we go. Any walls, any seas, any rivers, any enemy that lies in wait before you, any barrier or obstacle in this life, God is able to tear down. Or to give you the strength to climb over. Do we understand that? Walk through and to press on. We have to keep that in mind when we look at Philip going into Samaria. Because where he's going is in the past been a lion's den. An absolute lion's den. We have to understand that. Verse 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And here's the obstacle. Here's the barrier. Herein lies the problem. Philip, the deacon, not the apostle, was going to his neighbor. Here's, the, by the way, the second deacon <laughs> that turned preacher. Um, He's going to his neighbor. The Samaritans were his neighbor. This is what he was taught by Christ. This is what we know to be true by Christ. Who is our neighbor? Everybody. Not just the Jewish people that's on right next to us, but the Samaritans that nobody wants to deal with. Those are our neighbors. And what did Philip do? Philip went to Samaria. He went to Samaria. Some could have said that that was probably been a death wish. Some could have said, well, Philip, you know, uh, uh, people that are Jews, full-blooded, really need you more. What does Philip do? No. Philip goes to Samaria. The land of the Samaritans was in the place of Shechem, or shoulder, is what we know it to mean. And we see this place, and here comes the history. I want you to pay attention to me. This, because all of this is important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a blasting history of this one location and why it, where this uh, animosity and this hatred came from. And so y'all pay careful attention to what I'm fixing to tell you. You ready? 
Say amen if you're there. If you're there with me, say Shechem. Shechem. Say, let's say Shechem. Shechem. All right, here we go. Genesis 12. This is where God gave Abraham the promise of that he would, that he would be his God and that, that he would have all of these promises given to him. This is where, this is the place where Abraham built an altar to the Lord and worshiped God there. Genesis chapter 12. If you move through Genesis to Genesis chapter 33, you will come to a, a little known weasel by the name of Jacob who had weaseled his brother's birthright out from him and he here is coming back into the land that was promised to the people and Jacob is coming in and he is crossing the brook Jabbok and he knows he sends all of his family before him and he knows that he is fixing to encounter his brother Esau. And when he encounters his brother Esau, before he does that, he has a wrestling match with the Lord and the Lord renames him to Israel. Y'all remember the story? After this happens... After this happens, he crosses in, he meets his brother, everything's hunky-dory, it's good, they go about their way, they separate. Jacob, or Israel, now enters into the land of Shechem, where he there builds an altar unto the Lord and offers sacrifice unto him, calling on the name of the Lord and worshiping the Lord. So we have one patriarch to the next patriarch, and then it goes on from there. This is also the same place where Joshua, after defeating Jericho and Ai, after defeating Jericho and Ai, after they come into the land of promise, if you fast forward several hundred years, Joshua comes into the land of the promise, he defeats Jericho, the walls come down, he defeats Ai, the little town, then he gathers all the people up. And in 2020, I preached a message out of Joshua. I remember it. It was in January. Actually, Mike Bennett, you were sitting right there, and Deborah was right there. And I was preaching out of Joshua at the time. I can remember this. This was right before COVID happened. I was preaching out of Joshua, and and it teaches us in Joshua that when they beat Jericho and when they beat Ai... That Joshua had all the people go to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Y'all remember that? And in the bottom of that swag was called Shechem. Because it looked like a shoulder. When you turn around, you have a swag on your back where your shoulder blades come together. That's why it meant that. It looked like a saddle. Okay? This is where Joshua read aloud the law of God. On this mountain, made Ebal, he read aloud the word of God. And he made the people promise and say, you're going to keep the covenant that God has given. You are going to keep the laws and adhere to what God has told us. Moses received the law. Joshua is now passing it on to the children of Israel as they enter into The land of promise, they are there. They've already had two victories and Joshua sets them down, the whole smear of them. And he says, listen guys, you are going to make a covenant with the Lord. You are going to promise that you are going to live righteously. You're not going to take up with the people from the land. You're not going to do all of these foolish things, but you're going to abide by God's law. The first five 
books. You're going to abide by that. We know that right there on that place, Joshua carved a stone and the people remembered it. Everybody following me. This region of Samaria, this is the region of Samaria that I'm talking about. Where the Jewish people hated so much. This region of Samaria is also the same place where Ephraim and the half the tribe of Manasseh settled after coming into the land of promise. This was their territory. If you fast forward during the exile out of the land of promise, remember when the Babylonians came in and the Syrians and all the people, because the people sinned and, and the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to give you back over to them so you can correct yourself and come back out. During the exile out of the land of the promise, Jews were replaced with pagans. When they, caught, when they came and they took people out of the land, they replaced them with pagan people. First off, so the pagans could understand the area, but secondly, so the pagans would have an influence over the people in the land. I told you I'm going to say a lot to say something little, and we're getting to it. Just bear with me. These pagans intermarried with the left-behind Jews, which was a big no-no. This was not supposed to happen. They had already promised that they were not going to do that. Thus creating the Samaritans. In Ezra 4 and 2, when the people went back and were charged with rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem, they were met with great opposition. Sanballat, if you remember Sanballat in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, Sanballat came against the children of Israel. Sanballat the Horonite, leader of the Samaritans, over the army, came against Nehemiah and the people multiple times to try and stop the rebuilding of the wall that he completed in how many days? 51? 52, I think. Nehemiah was a man on a mission, trying to keep the filth out. This man, Sanballat, came against Nehemiah multiple times over and over and over and over trying to stir up the Samaritans to come against the children of Israel. We know that it was a lot of talk and no action. Then in the last chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah rebukes and chastises the people because of this intermarrying. This intermarrying had made its way all the way up to the high priest's family. And Nehemiah literally runs them out. The son of the high priest intermarries with one of Sanballat's. Nehemiah literally runs them off. This played a huge role in the formation of the Samaritan's religion. It played a huge role in, in how they viewed the Jews. It played a huge role in where they worshipped. 
Because the Samaritans, if you recall in Ezra, wanted to take part in rebuilding the wall. But they said no, and they said no because they were so paganized. They were pagan people. And the Lord said, stay away from that. This made the Samaritans mad. The Samaritans had said that they uphold only the first five books of the Bible. That they had a place to worship at that we're going to get to in just a second. That they introduced pagan religion and mixed it with the first five books of the Bible. And this forms the Samaritan's religion. So when the Jewish people viewed the Samaritans, they viewed them as people that were pagans, that had intermarried with pagans, that were practicing pagan rituals, intermingled with the law of God. And they didn't like them. They didn't like them at all. They had a holy mountain. They had a holy priesthood. They had a holy book that they adhered to. The Samaritans. Some say that the temple was placed on top of one of these mountains. Gerizim or Ebal. That replicated... That in Jerusalem. Historians say that. The Samaritans intermarried with the Babylonians and the Assyrians and brought in pagan rituals. Mixed with the first five books of the Bible. Their mountain they worshipped on, they believed to be Mount Gerizim. This was the same place where the people answered Joshua and said, Yes, we will obey God's law. Yes, we will do what He says. So the Samaritans are going to stick to that place. They're going to put all their stock in that place, just as the Jews put all of their stock in the temple in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, this is the place where the woman at the well from Samaria spoke to Jesus and said, in John 4 and 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Which mountain? Mount Gerizim. She was a Samaritan. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. That's John in chapter 4 and verse 20. Mount Gerizim is the mount she was talking about. Samaritan headquarters. We need to see that. To say that Jesus, or to say that the Jews hated the Samaritans, to say that they hated the Samaritans, is to, is to say, it's an un, this is an understatement. They hated the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans had a form of religion that mimicked that of the Jews. The Jews couldn't, couldn't stand them. This hate went back over 400 years. Do we get that? 
400 years. Our country has not even been around that long. 400 years! There was a hatred and an animosity that had built up between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. 400. This was instilled in the Jewish people. This was instilled in their children. They were taught this from an early age. It was bred into them. They knew not to mess with the Samaritans. Don't go to that region. As a matter of fact, there's testimonies and witnesses that would say that they would go around, they would cross the River Jordan to go around Samaria so that they could then cross back the River Jordan south to come back into Jerusalem, into the land of Judea. They would make a bypass all the way around Samaria, cross the river twice so they wouldn't have to go through the land of Samaria. We saw in John 4 that Jesus says, I ain't doing all that. There's a lady down there that needs saving. I'm going straight to her. He didn't do any bypassing. He went straight to her. The last time I checked, the closest distance between two points is what? And Jesus went straight to her. He didn't didn't try to go around all of this. He went straight to her. Now pay attention to me. One of the first things that Jesus does in his ministry is show his disciples that his kingdom would be a kingdom established on love where the children of that kingdom, where the children of that kingdom would worship him in spirit and in truth in love. And this is what he shows those people and those disciples in John in chapter 4. To a certain degree, in John 4, Jesus began to break down walls and barriers right before his disciples in Samaria. They couldn't believe that Jesus was doing what he was doing. But none of them dared question him. Right then, Jesus had begun breaking down walls and barriers. And what happened? The woman was saved and she went and proclaimed it to all the people in Samaria. And the people came back and they believed. They said, it's it's not because of her testimony that we believe, but we have now heard and we've seen for ourselves that this is indeed the Christ. So the woman believed and and the town believed that she went to. And this was a precursor to what was coming for Samaria. But they weren't permitted to go there yet. They weren't permitted to go there yet. This sets the stage for our text today. And our text is going to go very fast because I've set all of that up to tell you what I'm fixing to say. Acts chapter 8, 5 through 8. Until this moment, the people had not went into Samaria. They had, they had not given, been given the right to do so. But the walls of prejudice and superiority, Christ broke down on the cross. He broke them down. 
Those walls of hatred and animosity, those walls, those gigantic walls of the heart, Jesus Christ came and he ripped them in half. Like I told you, you'd be better off trying to remove Jericho's wall with a hammer. With a ball-ping hammer. Than change the human heart. And here we have that happening. The walls of prejudice, the walls of superiority on the Jewish part. These walls had already begun to start coming down, even from the Samaritans' angle as well. The Lord had already done a work there. He had already done a work. Remember, they were waiting for the Messiah. Remember what the lady said? When the Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. And what's Christ say to her? Woman, those that worship me ain't going to worship on this mountain or on that one, but those that worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. So those walls had become broken. They were breaking down. They weren't allowed to go, but now Philip, by persecution, he, he goes into Samaria. And here in verse 5, he preaches. He proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip was not like Jonah, who went into Nineveh and preached to the people who repented and he was mad about it. No, this didn't happen. Philip went in and he was glad. He was, he was overwhelmed with joy. He went into Samaria and had great success. Why? Because Jesus had already told him, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and in Samaria. This was a fulfilling of what Jesus had already told him. And Philip stood on those promises. In this passage of Scripture... Philip preaches the the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, has come. The good news is that the Samaritans were waiting for the Messiah to come. And so here, Philip, inspired by the Holy Spirit, preaches. And when he preaches the truth, when he preaches the way, the people believe. And they're saved. Do we see that? They believed by faith his testimony and were saved. Verse 6. And the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. He went down there. This man was equipped with miraculous signs. He went down there and not only did he preach, but healings began to happen. The Lord gave him these healings. More than likely as a witness and a testimony to, the, to who he truly was in the faith and, and who his master was. But they, in one accord, paid attention to what Philip was saying. And they believed. They received him by faith with one accord. Now, it's hard to get all of us in here 
that's underneath the sound of my voice to be in one accord, thinking the same thing, much less a whole city. You understand what I'm telling you? With one accord, the people believed what Philip was saying. That's in Acts chapter 8. What's happened? Is it something Philip did? No. It is nothing that Philip has done. Let me explain to you what's happened. The Lord has went before them. The Lord had given the Samaritan ears to hear with and they believed. This is what was taking place. And this is an absolute phenomenal story of what our God is capable of in our lives. Listen to what it says in verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Philip was doing an incredible work in Samaria. He walks into Samaria and begins to preach. The people believe him. They know he's a Jew because of his accent. They know because of the way that he looks. He's preaching about a Jewish Messiah. Only God can break down that barrier. And he did. Listen to what it says. Unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, came out of many of them, and many who were paralyzed. They were unparalyzed. They could move. And the lame were healed. Verse 8. So that there was much joy in that city. Where it had been a city of much hatred, where it had been a city of much distress and animosity and grief, now it is a city of joy. Why? Because the good news had been proclaimed and the people received it. I told you I was going to say a lot to say a little and this is what I'm fixing to tell you. Jesus is able to overcome any barriers that stand in our way. Do we truly believe that? He is able to overcome any barriers that stand in our way. The Lord broke over 400 years of hatred and in one day brought in joy. One day, over 400 years of prejudice, and in one day, he brought in another portion of his sheep through the preaching of the gospel, the good news by Philip, in one day. This morning, let me leave you with this. Here it is. If you've got a pen, you'll want to write it down, because I said all of that to say this. Our God is able. Our God is able. Press on in the power of His might. And that's all I have for you. Let's pray.